0: hey listeners we're back with another episode of the novel expressions book club i'm natalie the youngest sister i'm jess the middle
1: sister i'm pam the oldest sister and i'm nancy their mom
0: today we're discussing a book from an author who is new to this podcast colleen oakley the book is called you were there too this book was recommended to us by Beatrice Williams. I mean, like not personally or anything, but she endorsed it at a book talk at our local library where we were physically in the same room with her in person. So I feel like it was basically a personal recommendation just for us. But before we get into our discussion, we have a special announcement about the future of our podcast. So Jess, what news do we have to share with our listeners?
2: All right, listeners. So you're going to notice that we're going to be switching up the way we structure our podcast from here on out. We had been talking and we decided that we kind of wanted to get back to why we originally started doing these podcasts in the first place, which was because we love talking about books. We used to have a book club before these podcasts where we would just sit around and chat and talk about our favorite elements and things we thought were interesting, and We kind of got away from that in these podcasts, and we want to get back to it. We also have heard from our listeners that their favorite part of the podcast was when we got into the conversation of the noteworthy discussion points, so we want to focus more on that. So once you listen to this one, let us know what you think of this new structure. Give us some feedback on our website so that we can hear from you.
0: Awesome. So, on that note, we're going to dive straight into our noteworthy discussion topics. Just as a reminder, please read the book before you listen. Otherwise, you're going to go, Who the heck are you talking about? And what are these things that you're discussing? You're going to be very confused. So, who wants to kick us off with our discussion? I
1: will do that. I have something right from the very beginning, um, before the first chapter even begins. There is a little conversation from the Wizard of Oz. Dorothy says, It's funny, but I feel as if I'd known you all the time, but I couldn't have, could I? The scarecrow, I don't see how. You weren't around when I was stuffed and sewn together, were you? The tin man, and I was standing over there, rusting for the longest time. Dorothy, still, I wish I could remember, but I guess it doesn't matter anyway. We know each other now, don't we? Because this is our second read of the book, I totally get why that conversation is there, but I was thinking back the first time we read it, I probably had no idea. So I thought it was cool that Colleen Oakley would think to use that conversation from such a famous book, play, movie, musical, The Wizard of Oz, um, but also just how perfect that scene and what they're saying to each other, how perfectly it connects to the story that she has written. The other thing that I thought was kind of cool about it is that right after we recorded our last podcast, we were having a discussion and mom mentioned one of her favorite quotes from The Wizard of Oz. So I just thought it was very funny. I started reading this book a day or two after we recorded and there that popped up and it was like, oh my goodness, I forgot this was there. And what a cool idea to use that conversation to kick this book off.
0: I like totally missed that. I saw your notes and I was like, I don't know what the heck you're talking about. And then I had to go back and like find it. I don't know how I must have just like started the book too far in, I guess.
3: Probably at chapter 1 rather than at the prologue. Well, because no, cuz I the
0: I definitely read the prologue, but like oh. I don't know. I maybe I blacked out when I read it cuz I remember reading the prologue.
3: Hmm.
1: Well, I will say that is right before the prologue.
3: Right. That's true. Mm -hmm.
1: So it's in between the table of contents and the prologue. Sure. I'm going to blame
0: Kindle that it started me too far. Yes. Thanks a lot, Amazon.
1: Well, and you know how a lot of authors will do like a quote from another book or something like that. And if I'm honest, I sometimes do just like skip it. And I probably shouldn't, you know, I really should probably pay attention, but for whatever reason, this one caught my attention, maybe because it said The Wizard of Oz, maybe because it looked like a little play. You know, it had the almost like a script look to it, you know, so I was interested
2: in what it was. So we were kind of talking about the prologue, so I think that's a nice little segue to something I really loved about this book, and I think it was the same thing. I think the second read really made it stand out in my mind, but the writing style that was in the prologue, the Sentences were so staccato. It was like, boom, 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 boom about whatever was happening. And it created such a sense of panic and confusion for me, although I had already read the book, so I knew what was happening. Um, But it just showed what people are going through after such a serious event that occurred. And it was just so beautifully written and perfectly written.
0: It almost makes you think that like she maybe has lived through some kind of thing like that, like some kind of chaos, chaotic event where you're like, what's going on?
3: Some Mm -hmm. sort of trauma.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. Well, um, in keeping with the rhythm we're going with this far of or thus far of the quote and then the prologue, uh, chapter one, I was immediately like, oh my gosh, mom, when I was reading it and I just have to read you the excerpt that really stuck out to me. So, um, we don't really know anything about the main character yet, but it says, I look anywhere but directly at Nora, the pristine, oh, I meant to ask you guys how to say this word, ch- ch- chignon, 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 <laughs> chignon, chignon. straight-backed woman sitting in the executive chair across the desk from me, not because she's slipping through my portfolio and I've never quite gotten comfortable with witnessing the judgment of my work, but because she's wearing a neck scarf, just seeing it, wrapped tightly like a noose, knotted right at her clavicle, makes my skin crawl with anxiety. How do people wear things wrapped around their throats? I've never understood it. Even as a kid, if my mom put me in a turtleneck, I would grasp at it, wheezing and crying and carrying on until she let me change.
2: That mom, is her so,
0: Mom. Her ears. <laughs> That's why she always would wear dickies, because she couldn't have the full shirt. Which we're going to yeah. come back
1: to in a second, first of all. But I just. <laughs> want to say, I thought the same thing when I was reading. I was like, oh, mom is going to be freaking out when she reads this description because she's so claustrophobic. Yes. yes.
3: It's just like when I read a book where they're in a tunnel and I have to read that part of the book so fast because I have to get out of that tunnel.
0: Do you read a lot of books in tunnels?
3: Uh, <laughs> I, I have read I have read my share of books, uh, yes, that where they're in a tunnel or they're like in the like in the ceiling part. Oh, let's not talk about it. Okay, move on.
0: You know, we've talked often about like taking a train trip and that, I don't know, we might need to rethink that. There's a lot of tunnels on train tracks.
3: Mm -hmm. I've been in a a tunnel before. I just close my eyes and sing a song or something.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's gonna be great.
3: Okay, we have to circle
1: back to the Dickey. Um, What
2: did you wanna say about the Dickey?
1: Oh, well, let me tell you what I wanna (laughs) say about it. So first of all, yes, I'm so glad that you brought up that that was something that mom would often wear under a nice Christmas sweatshirt or sweater when we were growing up. Dickies were very handy. And you know, I thought they were a thing of the past.
2: Oh, no, honey.
1: (laughs) I know, honey, because of my recent encounter with Jess and her homemade Dickie. Because if you can't buy them anymore, you can still make one out of a turtleneck, I'm assuming just Yes, and, and you just
2: cut off the sleeves and the bottom part and you just make a little scoop neck. With as
0: jagged of a cut line <laughs> as possible. You don't want it to even look like it was a real dicky. You want everyone to know.
2: It <laughs> was just I like a this. quick cut thing because I was gonna be wearing it the next day with my Christmas sweater. You know how that goes.
1: Right, but you definitely answered the door with just a tank top and that on.
2: I did. <laughs> Maybe we should post a picture of my really cool Dickie, which, by the way, girls, although you did make get sure it you say one, Dickie, I I kept the old one just in case. You never know when you might need two. Right. Just if you to want clarify, to wear it back
1: back. Just to clarify, we did not buy her a new Dickie right. per se. Okay. We bought her a turtleneck tank top.
0: Yeah. I mean, which I don't is- know that like a sleeveless turtleneck is like leaps and bounds above a Dickie. <laughs> right. It's still like a little bit questionable, but. But it was it doesn't have a jagged cut. cut. Yeah. It, it was, was professionally correct. cut. Purchased from a store. <laughs>
3: and imagine right. if there had been an emergency and you had to go to the hospital and they had to take off your shirt and they saw your dicky. <laughs>
2: your hoodie Ma- dicky. I learned about dickies from you, so you're the reason I wear them. But I had one that was a real dicky.
0: So you did some- not just have one.
3: <laughs> no, you're right. I'm just. I was just gonna say. I ha- I know. I had a black one and I had a white one. I'm I remember exactly
0: about where you would keep them in our old house. Like it was in the uh, right-hand top drawer of your little like makeup's. <laughs> it was your dicky drawer. <laughs>
1: Also, can we do a word count on how
3: many times Mom just wanted to say the word Dicky? Oh, right. So I said when Jess said she should post a picture of her cool Dicky, I was like, Whoa, whoa, whoa! Oh
2: my
0: God! And then you get to the hospital and they see your little Dicky. <laughs> dickie.
1: <laughs> okay. Oh, right. On that note. One, <laughs> I'll bring this back in, even though I took us off the rails there. That's right. I just had to throw Jess under the bus. Okay. <laughs> So, I'm going to go back to the prologue for a minute because one of the things that really stuck out in this book for me was all of the figurative language and the mm-hmm. imagery. I mean, I know why Beatrice recommended Colleen Oakley because she is a very good writer. And so, lately with my students, we've been doing a lot of analysis where we're looking at figurative language and how it impacts the reader and that sort of thing. So maybe that's why it was jumping out at me. But in that prologue, um she says the blood is everywhere, or maybe it's not, but like a piece of spinach wedged in a tooth, it draws the eye. It's the only thing I can see. And first of all, I thought that was such an interesting comparison, this blood on her and around her, you know, to this spinach. But at the same time, oh my gosh, have you ever had that experience where you're talking to someone and they've got something in their tooth and you just can't help but look at it. So I thought that was a cool thing to add there.
0: I will say, I, I, I've had that experience, but I we've had that experience on this podcast where no one had anything in their teeth, but mom was very worried that Jess had a gap between her front teeth because she paid for those teeth.
2: Listeners, can you tell that they like to pick on me? Oh, my this goodness. Is,
0: that's a pick on mom. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs>
2: mom, excuse
3: me, they're slamming me, girl. Yeah, there is nothing okay. wrong with There's your There's no teeth. gap. Yeah,
0: the teeth Thank are you. perfect. I mean, you
3: know, what, you know what they say in England, don't you? Mind the gap.
0: <laughs> she minded it with her retainers every night. She probably still wears them. I
3: Mama, have them. I don't. Them. Do you <laughs> I paid good money for those. That's right. <laughs> she really did. It that's must right. have been the lighting. Sorry. It was. Yes. Or my old eyes. One of the two. Yes. So that was
1: one quote oh. that I wrote down that I liked. But another one for imagery. And this is. Much later in the book, chapter sixteen, she says, "As I stare at my husband, it occurs to me that marriage is a lot like a lot like that TV. The connection gets loose sometimes, even to the point where you think it might not work anymore. But then something jars it, and the wires slip back into place, exactly where they belong, lighting up the screen and bringing back the sound. Everything working as it should. The imagery is really cool, but also."
3: Yeah. Haven't you felt that way before? Absolutely. The truth of it. I, in fact, I, that was one of the quotes that I was going to um, pick out as well, but I was kind of late to the, um, to our document. And so I saw that you had already put it in there. So I didn't worry about it. But yeah, what a great, great comparison. What a great analogy. I
0: loved it. And I think it's this quote that there's later a reference. I don't know if it's the same chapter or another chapter where she then references back to this of saying like, sometimes you just have to throw that TV out because it just doesn't work anymore.
3: Yep. She did.
1: It's when Mia's trying to figure out, you know, are she and Harrison still meant to be together? You know, is their marriage? You know, she's feeling very like with their, their different feelings about the baby, you know, what are they going to do? And, and almost feeling like they don't have a connection anymore. Mm. But I thought it was a a neat idea, especially, um, I can remember when TVs would have loose connections. I'm sure they still do sometimes, but it was much more common and, you know, the static and we'd have to kind of hit the side and try to get it to work again.
2: For um, sure. and we probably
1: all had something like that, you know, with that loose wire. And I just thought that was a, A good way of of giving us that picture of what she was feeling and thinking about their relationship.
2: I think one of the reasons why the figurative language and imagery worked so well in this book is because it felt like it fit Mia's character. Mia was Mm -hmm. such a creative person and that's actually one of the things that I loved about her. There were a couple times where she mentioned these objects that she came across and she talked about how the object looked lonely or how it seemed lost or sad. And so she would pick it up and bring it home like the mitten she saw on the bus, or she described a chair in her kitchen being super lonely. And something about that just really struck me because I, I can kind of see what she means about that. It, it seems sad just being all by itself. And I just, it just showed who she was at a per- as a person. I just really loved those. Mm-hmm.
0: And I like how there was like a later callback to the mitten of like, I probably shouldn't have taken that because what if the person went back for it? Like now it's never going to have a mate.
2: And that she thought about that. Yes. That's why I I really liked her. There were times when I was thinking, don't do something that's going to make me mad at you because I want to really like you. And she, all throughout, she just kept redeeming herself and I just, she was just such a lovable character.
3: And actually, that was one of the best parts about her is that she had this idea in her head of who she was supposed to be with based on these dreams she was having. That's what everything was centered around. And she finally came to the realization that why did I put this, this like expectation on myself that somehow the dreams were more important than reality. And I love that she finally came to that point where she realized, what am I doing?
1: I think her friend helped her with that too. She kind of said, you're, you're thinking of this like a game show, like you have to pick this curtain or this curtain or something like that. Right. But I think, um, I
3: think that's what happens a lot in our lives. We get stuck in this mindset of something. And as soon as someone can point it out to us that, is that the only mindset you can have? Or is there another possibility? It kind of frees us up to go, oh, yeah, I don't have to believe that. I don't have to think that way. There's nothing that says that that's true. Mm-hmm. So and I really like that she was able to change that.
1: I think Mia is so honest that that's part of what makes her likable. Well, and we get her internal thoughts and we get to hear her being honest about herself. And, you know, I appreciate that when someone realizes they're flawed, realizes they're being a brat sometimes, that they're not being fair to someone, Mm -hmm. you know, when she would have those internal comments, like, I shouldn't do this. I know I shouldn't do this, or I shouldn't think this way. And then also... They're hilarious. Her yes. thoughts are hilarious. So I could have recorded several, but the part where she's like out by the garden and she's just rattling on talking, and she's like, Oh my God, stop talking about oh, chickens. Good. Because she realizes she's just rambling and having this stupid conversation, and she's so mad at herself. But I laughed out loud several times just by things that she was either thinking or something she just came out and
3: said. Was so and fun. especially in a book that had some pretty serious. Uh topics the fact that that gave us some comic relief was wonderful
0: Mm -hmm. um speaking of like mia's random things she says that are comic relief the whole scarf triggering her gag reflex in kindergarten like first of all as someone who often gets her gag reflex triggered by other people gagging i can relate to her but the whole, I guess maybe this just goes back to like the opening thing that I read of her claustrophobia, but mom, have you ever felt like gagging because you saw someone wearing a scarf?
3: No, but I will tell you that just like Mia, I believe that I can trace my claustrophobia back to when my brother used to beat me up and he used to pin me down on the ground and put his, his legs on my arms and I would actually be trapped underneath him. And I think that's where my claustrophobia came from. So it's his fault. Mm, Blame Uncle Jim.
0: I think that's a good plan. I agree. I don't know. I I think think it could be that
3: something early happens to you that makes you kind of freaked.
0: Well, and it's such a strange thing that it makes me go like, Colleen, is this like something (laughs) you personally
2: (laughs) struggle with? Uh Yeah, because I would never think gag reflex. I would think like you would feel like you're being strangled or Uh claustrophobic, Uh or but not like I'm gonna gag because it's choking.
3: I remember watching a TV show one time where it was a comedy and the guy had gotten into one of those sleeping bags that the mummy mummy sleeping bag, you know what I'm talking about? It goes all the Mm -hmm. way up over the head and it, and it got, the zipper got stuck and he couldn't get it down and it was supposed to be funny. I had to leave the room because I could not watch him struggling with that. It made, it made my heart race. It made me very panicky. I was, oh, it was awful. I just had to get, and I had to get far enough away that I couldn't hear the TV, what he was saying. It was really bad.
1: If, if this wasn't something that Colleen experienced, then, and and I think this is true regardless, she's really good at character development. Yes. Yes. You know, creating that character and thinking about how would Mia feel and act and what kinds of silly things would she say? And how would she react to her husband? I felt like Harrison was super well developed. And then the differences in Harrison and Oliver, even though they were both nice, likable guys, you know, she really spent the time. I don't know, just making them feel real for me.
2: Agree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we need to talk about one of the things that really kind of drove this book, which was the miscarriages that Mia and Harrison had to experience. And I, I just cannot imagine. One is awful enough, but then to have that happen again. again. And each time you're thinking like, is this one going to be the one? And then you start to feel like, am I, is there something wrong with me that I'm not? It would just, I I can't even fathom what that would feel like to have to grieve every single time.
3: Yeah. And the, this uh, balanced translocation, that was the condition that her husband had, that Harrison had, is truly a real thing. And it is exactly the way it was explained in the book. Um, one One of the party, the husband or the wife, their chromosomes get switched a little bit, either genetically, you know, through genetics, or right after or right when it's being fertilized. And when that happens, then, when the egg and the sperm meet each other, it can't connect well because the chromosomes that are supposed to connect to each other are in the wrong place. And so that's why the miscarriage happens. And it was so interesting to me because um, she had had, what, three miscarriages, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I had just learned from someone that I know in my life who, um, had been, who had gone to a geneticist and the geneticist had told this person that 80% of all miscarriages happen because of a genetic malformation that 80% of them are because something is wrong with the baby. That 20% they can't account for, but 80% they know are genetically incorrect. And so when you think about the guilt that she felt for something that was completely out of her control, and the guilt that we know that many women through hundreds of years have felt because they thought that they overdid or they, you know, my grandmother used to tell me, don't raise your arms above your head. You'll tie the cord around the baby's neck. You know, all those crazy things that you heard that were old wives' tales when really it was probably just genetics that, uh, you know, a a funky genetic configuration that caused the the miscarriage in the first place that you have no control over. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Have you ever had to diagnose someone with that, mom? You mean <laughs> Dr. Nancy? Dr. Uh, Nancy?
3: Me. Not in my current practice, but
1: <laughs> oh, okay. I was thinking about how, like you said, Jess, how awful to go through one, but in her case, and, and I know women like this, it was almost like she knew the routine. Mm-hmm. This is how it goes and this is what we do after. And I thought, oh my, that just shouldn't be, you know, that just...
3: And how hard it was when she actually was pregnant and was able to carry that baby to full term that she couldn't get excited about it
2: Mm -hmm.
3: in those early stages because she expected to lose it.
2: Mm -hmm. Honestly, even up until I felt like the point she was about to have the baby. And I think Mm -hmm. part of that was because Harrison was no longer there, but just, she just didn't actually think it was going to happen. She didn't even know how far along she was when she was there to deliver her baby. She was like
0: four weeks off. Yeah yeah well but that's she was
3: understandable. <clears throat> she was
1: thinking how long he'd been gone.
0: Well right right. Yeah. You know
1: she was like almost mi- mixing up those dates or or maybe because that it was after he died that she found out. Mm-hmm. It was almost like she was making the pregnancy start then when obviously it had to start before
3: then. Right. Plus when you've lost someone significant in your life you're numb and so really time is kind of fuzzy anyway.
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: so you just you just go through the motions for a while.
0: Yeah, it's very sad. Um, one of the things that I thought uh, would be really, was really tough, would it be a really tough situation to be in? And I don't envy Mia being in this position was having a sister who's a therapist. Because I, I think about like, if every time I came to one of you with something, if it was like, You know that clinical response of like and how does that make you feel you know whatever (laughs) it just would be like infuriating i think it would make me go crazy so to feel like you know she was feeling disconnected from harrison her other you know she was in a different place where she didn't have like her super close friends immediately around her and then her sister is like trying to be helpful but ultimately like slipping into professional mode Mm -hmm. and all of the stuff that she was going through like rough combination Mm -hmm.
1: Well, and we we all three are different. You know, we have our differences for sure. But Mia and her sister are like very different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, Mia's that creative, emotional, you know, and so especially for her to have that clinical response type sister and who's in a very different place in her life, that had to be really hard.
0: Yeah. And like the constant um kid drama going on in the background i feel like that probably also made it extra tough for mia who's you know wants a baby so bad and can't i'm just glad mom that you stay in like you know practicing medicine and not you know psychiatry or psychology
3: well i could do that we're getting into the dream part next you like
0: that's fine. Awesome. Or like sex therapy. I know that's probably your other specialty. That's fine. Cause I'm not going to talk to you about my sex life. So no worries. Um,
3: <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine you doing that.
0: No. You might ask, but I might ask, but
2: <laughs> move along, Jess, move along. Moving right along to dreams. So the thing I thought was so cool, and I I almost just like had a hard time believing it, but it honestly seems like it ha- has happened before to people, but that the recurring dreams that she would have where, you know, it was her and Oliver and they'd each dream about each other seems crazy and far-fetched, but I was wondering if you girls have ever had a recurring dream, you know, for however long, and if so, what was it?
3: Well, I have, um, when I was a teenager, I had this one dream and I can't tell you what it was because it was so frightening that I could never actually verbally express to anyone what it was. All I can tell you is that what the imagery that I can give you is it was like a big chess board and there were armies advancing and I was in big trouble. Hmm. So I, but that was as, as much as I could tell you about that. Um, other than that, the thing that I used to be able to do when I was a teenager and I really, really, really loved, and I haven't been able to do it as an adult is I could have a dream, wake up from it, think about it, go back into my dream, the same dream and change things that I wanted different about it. Hmm. And that was just so delightful. The only one more thing, and then I'll shut up. One other thing is that I I will tell you this through the years, and this has been from the time I was a teenager until even now, I've, it's probably been a year or so since I had the last one, but I do dream about this one place, and I think it's a hotel, and I dream about it, and it's very familiar to me every single time I'm there, and I'm there for a variety of reasons, but um, but. I feel like I know this hotel, and if I ever walk into a hotel that looks like this, I'm going to go, oh my gosh, that's it, and I don't know if that's because when we, when I was a kid, um, when I was in a baton group, we went to different cities, Canada and different cities up north, New York and whatever, or maybe I guess that's south, huh? but anyway, um, we stayed in different hotels, and I think it's one of those hotels that I stayed in, so I think my impressionable mind when I was between fourth and eighth grade, let's say, has kind of place itself into my dreams and it comes out eventually, occasionally. Hmm.
0: Ladies, am I correct in remembering that mom is the one who'd be like, I had this super vivid dream and then cannot <laughs> tell us anything about it?
1: Yeah. Um, I believe like, I feel the same way. I feel like you might've fallen out of your chair listening.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I
1: actually right. That's true. Yeah because mom said oh my gosh I gotta tell you guys about this dream we were I'm not really sure where we were but we were all together and um I can't remember who, who all was there but we were and she proceeded every detail we would think it was going to be fabulous and then we didn't really get any details at all
3: no. but it, for me it was in the moment
0: Yes, like, oh my gosh and then you wake up and you're like I I can like I remember it but like there's no way I could articulate it
3: right exactly and, and that's, that's all it was with those scary dreams when I was a kid too
1: which that's sometimes good if you can't right. remember or articulate right. that uh when I would teach psych I w- we would do the chapter on sleep and dreams and I would have the kids keep a sleep journal and I had to stress to them over and over if you do not immediately write some stuff down you think you will remember it but i promise you you probably won't remember it but also mom what you talked about about when you were a teenager that's that's actually so true about dreaming at, at that like middle school at early high school age is when they think that a lot of the lucid dreaming happens where you control some things while you're dreaming it's also when a lot of people experience sleep paralysis So there's all kinds of cool stuff, but I think it probably has to do with the brain development at that time
2: and hormones
1: and just how much that impacts
2: everything. So sisters, I do have to confess just one additional way that I am like our mother. Uh I have found myself now that I have my own children who tell me their dreams. I find myself trying to analyze them like mom used to do to us. Isn't that really scary? And then I'm like, what am I doing? I sound like nanny. I need to stop. It's really bad.
3: Well, you know, yesterday, um, the girl that shares the room with me or the girl who has the room, my classroom after I leave, I came in and told me about this crazy dream she had. And I proceeded to tell her exactly what it meant. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And she goes, wow, wow. Yeah, you might be right about that. But it was so abundantly obvious to me what the dream meant. I couldn't believe she didn't put it together you could be wrong. I don't
0: think
3: I am. I'm sorry. I don't think that's possible.
0: Remember she's the dream doctor.
3: (laughs) Yeah. My medical degree says it. I know what I'm talking about. I mean, dreams could mean nothing. This one, if I told you this dream, you would go, oh yeah, you're right. Mm.
1: Uh, I I think that's probably violating HIPAA. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I'm not telling you.
0: Well, I, I want to do a little HIPAA violation. I'm not going to tell you about a dream, but Pam, you just saying you tell your students to keep a dream log reminded me that I have started to keep a log of weird things that um, Joe says to me when he's dreaming in like the early morning or oh. when I'm trying to wake him up. So I have four things. <laughs> I only have three things he said, and I'm, I'm going to try to not laugh when I say these. <laughs> so the first I one is, wait. so what comes out of Daddy. <laughs> I wrote in parentheses, said in this special voice, which is why I just said that like I did. Uh,
3: oh my gosh!
0: This one. <laughs> so what comes out of Daddy? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Okay. 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 okay, This next one was okay. <sighs> Are you guys done? <laughs> I said, I need, you know, you need to get up like I every single day, five times. Right. His response was, I feel like Sam would say this, Pam, my character or me. <laughs> yes.
2: That is so precious. Oh my gosh. I'm crying. Oh my
3: gosh. You're right. Samuel would say that. Yeah. Well, cause he does have a character. Right. Right. Oh. Oh, oh, gosh, that is so, so good. Oh, Super that's a great
1: idea that. to write those things those down. Those are brilliant.
3: It's very Now, wait a minute. I just need to know. Did you get permission to no. say those?
1: I things? don't even
0: think he knows that I write them down. Oh, dear. Even better. <laughs>
1: now, does Joe um, sleep, talk, uh, walk, or just talk? Just talk.
3: Okay. I was going to say, Pam, we could tell stories oh, about more stories sleepwalking on me. and craziness. Yeah,
1: yes, as a teenager, kid. young teenager, right? Like middle school. Yeah, I've yep, gotten a big school. fight with mom over where the brown tent was,
3: which we didn't own,
1: <laughs> but I wanted it. And I was so mad. I don't, and I mean, she, she told me this, but.
3: Yes. And she stomped up every single step back up to her bedroom because she was so mad at me because I would not tell her where the brown tent was. She was looking in the living room because <laughs> of course that's where everyone keeps their brown tent. And then when she got upstairs, I heard this thrashing, thrashing, <laughs> thrashing. I mean, it was so loud. I go up there. She was fighting to take her jeans off. <laughs> I, got I was she her leg. cream? Well, she had gone to a sleepover the night before. She came home from the sleepover. She had not slept all night long. And so she fell asleep in her blue jeans. This was, I mean, she came downstairs in the middle of the day and wanted to know where the brown tent was. I was probably watching TV in the living room or something, grading papers or whatever. And she was furious. Oh my gosh. And and dreaming I thought, wait, is really a strange thing when you think about it. I mean, I thought she was wrangling a bear upstairs, the noise that was coming from upstairs. My, and here
1: it was just blue, blue jeans. jeans.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: I love that she keeps
1: saying blue jeans. <laughs> I was just thinking that. Um, but really, do you guys think about it ever? Like, like, we're just, you know, unaware for six to eight hours. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just like out and you're saying weird things maybe and doing weird things and dreaming weird things and your body's recuperating and resting and you just don't even have any control over it.
0: <clears throat> kind of makes you think about like sleeping on a plane and how weird that is to like sleep in a room full of strangers. Yeah. All those weird things.
1: I always Never thought it would be weird before. to do a sleep study and know that they're like watching you and you're hooked up to
3: stuff and mm-hmm. Well, and, and Sid has done that because of his sleep apnea. So he's been in a room and had, had somebody observing him. How many times he stopped breathing, you know, things like that.
0: Like you at night. That <laughs> like what you mean? me at night. Yeah. Like you've been the one sleeping, observing
3: there, right? him. Or well, yeah. on no, his that's why he went to the place because he kept gasping in the middle of the night. And I was like, he just, did he just die? And I'd look at his face. You weren't the and one they, stopping the breathing, right? I was not. I did not have a pillow over his head or anything. I <laughs> swear. <laughs> oh
2: my.
1: So okay, we're talking about how weird dreams are. Now imagine, like this concept in this book, you meet somebody who's dreaming about you.
3: No, oh, that's like,
1: yeah. first of all, it's just you meet someone that you've never met before, and they've been in your dreams,
3: and mm-hmm. you recognize
1: them. Yes, and then and then you find so. We should probably get back to that, but that's a well, crazy idea. Well, and
0: the dinner scene where this comes out was just, like, hilarious. Mm-hmm. And Harrison, like, having a little too much to drink, and there's just the whole interaction of the fact that she's been dreaming about Oliver, and, like, they don't really know them that well. This woman is, like, a, a patient of Harrison. It's just hilarious. Yeah,
1: it really And, is.
0: like, also wild.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And Harrison has no idea what kind of can he's opening by I telling know. Oliver, oh, my wife had a dream about you, you know, because right. you said he's kind of drunken, so he's not really thinking of how that sounds.
3: And he also doesn't know that Oliver has that same secret.
0: Right. Nor does he necessarily know the nature of the, right. some of the dreams that Mia was having about Correct.
2: Him. Right. She definitely kept that to herself.
0: Yeah. Would you- the other
2: part. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say, do did we get
0: clarity that like Oliver had similarly racy dreams?
2: Yes, he did. He for did sure. say
0: that.
3: He his neck. I believe his neck went a little bit red at one time when
2: he was trying. And to- he said, "Needless to say, you weren't married in my dream." Right, right, dream. right, right. Okay, yeah, yeah. Which is why when she goes to that psychic that her friend just like coaxed her into going to, and got that reading where. <laughs> they're talking about Oliver and he she said the psychic says he give you baby mia could you imagine being her in that moment so freaked out about the fact that supposedly Oliver is going to be the one he gives but you the i baby. just
3: loved that line because later on when you discover what it really means i think i remember when i read it the second time i thought oh i remember this now i remember how he does this
0: i yeah. just loved that well, and wasn't this, didn't she go see the psychic after she knew about the translocation where, like, the chances of Harrison actually getting her pregnant were very low comparatively? Yes. Right? So it's, mm-hmm. like, even more so, like, am I, is he basically saying, like, I'm going to cheat on my husband?
2: hmm
1: Right. And then, let's be honest, I feel like she contemplated it.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. You know?
1: And then also, since you mentioned when she goes to the, the psychic that cool little connection later when mm-hmm. Oliver gets home from his travels mm-hmm. and he's going to his apartment and guess who he lives right by. He passes right. by Rita, the, not the psychic, but the psychics, whatever. Mm-hmm. Translator. Secretary, I don't know, yeah. helper, whatever she is.
3: The advertisement. So that's one of
2: the things that, so we're talking about Mia and how she was potentially contemplating cheating on her husband. And that was one of those things, like I said earlier, if she had done that, I would have liked her so much less in this book. I'm so glad that she finally realized that things with Harrison, he was actually the one that she loves. And that even at the end of the book, when obviously he died, she still wasn't Oh, let me just get with Oliver because now Harrison's out of the picture. She so right. still was true to Harrison to the very end. I gotta tell you,
0: I don't know why. I can't articulate, and this is just a feeling that I have. But I'm pretty sure that when I first read this book, I was far less Team Harrison than I was in this read. And mm-hmm. obviously, like we read this book, I think in twenty beginning of twenty eighteen into twenty seventeen something like that, and maybe, I don't know, actually, that could be totally wrong. Regardless, I was in a different place in my life than I am now. And so I'm sure that's coloring my perspective on it, but it's so strange how I just felt like I didn't care if she was with Harrison in the last read, but this time I was like, what are you doing? Like, why are you being such an idiot? Like, fight for your marriage. Right. Mm -hmm.
3: And you know, this is something that hasn't really come up yet. I know Natalie's going to address it probably in a minute, but Um, you know, we were so, I think it was, it would be easy to be focused on, um, Mia's pain in losing those babies, but Harrison had his own horrific pain in that loss of that little boy with a simple appendectomy. And, you know, he kept it all in, which is why she wasn't really aware of how much it had affected him. Um, whereas she was much more demonstrative with her pain when it came to their own loss. But I mean, what a terrible thing for him to have gone through.
0: And like, not even just to lose a patient, but to feel like it was your fault because you had this bet and you, you know, were trying to like, Oh my, I cannot imagine that. I really can't. Like I do dumb stuff. Like I can't even get like drop something on the floor. And I'm like, Oh my God, Natalie, you're Je- Natalie, Jane. What do you, you know, like I berate myself over the dumbest things. And to just, to just even imagine like something that serious. See,
3: when, when I, I do th- dumb things, I just go, well, that proves you're human.
0: <laughs> it's a good outlook.
3: <laughs> That's what I say to myself. Well, there you go. You are human.
1: <laughs> well, and as crazy as it seems that they would have a bet like that, um, I think that probably happens, and then not in a mean-spirited way. Right. You know, I think that really intelligent people can be really competitive as well. Yeah. And I think medical school makes people kind of competitive in a way. You know, so I think that's pretty realistic. Not that I think doctors would ever purposely jeopardize, and I don't think that Harrison did either, even though he's just a fictitious character. Um, I think that he's a good guy, and he would never do that but I I think that probably happens. And it it was very like, Oh yeah, I got this. You know, I've done this so many times I could, I could do this, no problem. And then we were talking about that guilt. I think he probably felt then that the miscarriage was almost like a punishment. Mm -hmm. And then that was when he made that decision. I I don't deserve to be a dad.
3: I can't. And then when he finds out it's because of his chromosomes that it's happening anyway. I mean, it all kind of fed into that idea that he shouldn't be a father. He, he took away someone's child by his, his mistake. And, and, you know, and then he's got, he just doesn't deserve it. Yep. For sure. They both had a lot of guilt to deal with.
1: But I agree with you, Nat. I really liked him. I don't remember how I felt the first time as much, but I was totally rooting for him and for her to, just do the right thing. Who cares about these stupid dreams? You know is what I was thinking. Right. I liked right. Oliver. Mm-hmm. I didn't dislike Oliver. And no, I think, I think that a lot of times he was trying to be a gentleman, mm-hmm. you know, was truly trying to respect the marriage and, you know, and, and they both that they, they would, okay, we're done. That's it. And then something would happen. And it's, you know, we've read books and talked about that before, kind of that emotional affair. It can be mm-hmm. super dangerous even though she didn't do anything with him she was on thin ice you know just by having those connections with him and those conversations with him and you know where that was leading her
3: well and any time you keep meeting somebody from your spouse you know you keep the the knowledge that you were meeting someone in Philadelphia from your spouse that is a red flag <laughs> If she, didn't, if she didn't have any designs on him, she would have definitely told Harrison, this is what we're doing. We're finding out about these stupid dreams, blah, blah, blah. But she didn't. She kept it a secret. And that was dangerous. Very, very dangerous. Yeah.
1: Uh, one of the times that I really connected a lot with Harrison, fits nicely with something else I want to bring up we've talked about this with other books before when the authors will give us different characters perspectives. Mm -hmm. And so that happened in this book and the one chapter where it was from Harrison's perspective just made me like, Oh gosh, you know, just really feel for him. Um, but then especially when we got to the climax and we got, I don't even remember who, how many or whose we got, (laughs) but we, you know, we got Mia's we got, Harrisons or Oliver's you know we had these different perspectives on that crazy scene at the end and that was such a great idea to give us a full picture of what in the heck was going on
3: right yeah
0: i know we did see a lot of different cuz i feel like we even saw like um one of the the woman right the the what the mom of Whitney yes yeah
3: the one who had the abusive ex-husband
0: yeah
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. And how crazy was that, by the way, that he was over that custody battle situation.
3: And, you know, immediately I thought about my cousin. Mm -hmm. I did too. Yeah. Yeah. Most dangerous time Mm -hmm. is when you're splitting up and fighting over something like your child.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, that I had similar thoughts like that, that really happens. You know, this, yes, it this does. is not just a fiction book
3: kind of That's thing. That's right. It happened in my family. Mm-hmm. So for sure.
1: The last thing I want to mention is um, Mia's grief when Harrison dies. So like I it was it's like hard for me to put into words like how she was feeling and how I was feeling for her feeling that way and just the different things she was doing you know like how she got angry at Oliver for saving her and not Harrison Mm -hmm. for sitting there hoping he's going to live and then when the doctor walks out and she actually hopes that the doctor is going to walk to someone else and -hmm. say that he didn't make it it but I I think I would do the same thing. That sounds like really selfish. Right. But I think I would be the exact same way. And so I was, I was a mess reading that part. I mean, Mm -hmm. and you know, how she was at home, like just like just alone and, and grabbing his clothes and trying to smell it. I mean, just all of that. It was just so well-written, but it broke my heart. And that's Mm -hmm. how you know it was Mm -hmm. well-written.
2: Mm-hmm. The one part specifically that really got me crying was when she wanted to see him and she crawled up in the bed and snuggled against him because he looked cold, even though he had the blanket tucked around him after he had already died. And I just, like, I don't even, I don't know how I would handle that kind of situation. It'd be awful.
0: And then to find out that you're pregnant, like, oh my, and like, just only because you gave blood, like how crazy and then to be like I now I'm alone doing this and the person I'm doing this with you know the person that like created this child with me is the one who's died like oh my gosh
1: I think about that a lot when um you know you'll hear of like in military or war situations you know when someone will go off to war and then the person dies and I I think it'd be so bittersweet I think, you know, some people have this idea like, oh, but then you carry on that person through that child. And yes, that's true. But oh my gosh, it would be so hard. You probably fluctuate between, you know, seeing something in that child, like, you know, that special memory of that person. And also sometimes being like devastated by that. Right. I just think it'd be so hard emotionally to do that.
0: For sure. All right. Um, the only other thing I just was thinking about this, as we were talking, was like another point of comedy was the whole like goddamn entry table thing.
2: <laughs> yes, that was so. <laughs> great. That was great. <laughs> this great. is
0: so funny to me.
1: So you know how we've talked about how we'll talk and we'll think of characters when we're not reading and like almost mm-hmm. like they're real. I had a thought about that. I think after I finished the book, I thought. I wonder if she'll keep that on the, the entry <laughs> table because yeah. I 100% would.
2: Yes. Yeah. So
1: that, that would be like a special memory. I would definitely keep that forever, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Agreed. Is there anything else that we want to talk about? Here's what I'll say. I know we're getting back to our roots with this, but I, I think that we're a lot better now because I know there were times when we'd have a book talk and be like 10 minutes. Anything else you want to say? No, <laughs> you're not really, you're
2: not really good. That's true. Or when mom wouldn't remember any of the characters' names. Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I did
1: wonder yeah. if I should do a brief character review. <laughs> just, just even if I just ran down their names right (laughs) forget the descriptions but i did okay harrison
3: oliver mia those were the three what was mia's friend's name something something i don't know (laughs) (laughs) oliver's sister something else (laughs) raya caroline whitney Yeah, raya's the friend caroline's
1: the sister whitney's the patient with her son oscar (laughs)
0: wow
3: I have no idea.
0: I guess yeah. I'm like mom in this regard.
3: Yeah. I don't
0: remember if I, that I If name. I
3: had finished the book yesterday or today, I would be able to tell you. For but sure. I, fin- I finished it five days ago. So, yeah. yeah. I know Noah was the boy he lost. Oh, yes, right. Noah. I do remember yeah. that
1: name. But I, I do. I actually don't remember Whitney's little boy's name either. So I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah. No, I think notes help for sure. Yeah. Gotten yeah. some stuff Telly. down and, and just giving us those things we want to talk about
0: all right well i guess that will wrap up our first episode in our new format listeners let us know what you think and jess where can they find us and what's up next
2: so you'll definitely want to check out our bi-weekly website posts at Neville expressions club.com that's also where you could tell us how you felt about this new structure that we used and you could also check out our pre-release post on Instagram at Novel Expressions Book Club, and we'll be back in two weeks with Languid The Language of Flowers" by Vanessa Diffenbaugh.:
0: Until we read again.